Well, hi, everybody. Come to Christ to get food for the famished. That's our big idea today. Come to Christ to get food for the famished. And I bet you know some famished people. You probably know somebody who is desperate for love. Uh, maybe they came by it honestly. They experienced a father wound or a mother wound. Maybe they suffered some type of abuse in the past. And now they find themselves kind of bouncing in and out of romantic relationships over and over. And you wonder, why can't they land a better partner? Or maybe they married somebody who's been a big disappointment for them. And um, they try to camouflage that by flirting or shopping or hiding or partying. Or maybe they're trying to satisfy their hunger for love through an unhealthy, enmeshed relationship with their children. But nothing's working for them. Because you see, broken people, trusting in broken people to have their deepest longing met is a recipe for disaster. What your friend needs is your example. They need to see that you have found a love that never fails, a perfect love, a steadfast love, a love that was proven to you by Jesus coming and dying on a cross to pay for your sins, and that you have found somebody, no matter what the ups and downs of life might be, you still feel valued deeply, always, forever by Christ. And that has become food for you that satisfies and when your friend who's so hungry for love comes to the end of their rope and they say, nobody cares, nobody loves me, you can share your satisfaction in Jesus with your friend. And that may change your friend's life forever. Come to Christ to get food for the famished. Now, we're going to look at and probably the most massive miracle that Jesus ever performed in terms of sheer numbers. No other miracle in the Bible involves as many people. Uh, all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the guys who wrote the stories about the life of Jesus that we find in our Bible. They, all of those describe this miracle in the life of Jesus. So open up your Bibles today, fire up your apps today to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 10. Now, many of the miracles in the life of Jesus are kind of restorative in nature. When he restores sight to the blind or when we restore someone to health, he helps the lame to walk. But this particular miracle is one of the creative miracles. He makes something, he makes food, and it is actually an eye-opening demonstration of the deity of Jesus. So let's start with verse 10 today. On their return, the apostles told him told Jesus all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. So what's happened before this is he had sent his disciples out on a mission, and now they're coming back and they're debriefing with Jesus. And because they've been out on mission, their physical, emotional, spiritual tanks are trending toward empty. They needed to get away. They needed to regroup. They needed to refocus and so they headed from Capernaum, which is on the northwest part of the Sea of Galilee, over to Bethsaida, which is on the northeast part of the Sea of Galilee. And they had traveled actually by boat. So they're trying to get away from people. Verse 11, 
When the crowds learned it, they followed him. They followed Jesus. Hey, we see where he's going to go. Let's see if we can catch up. And so they travel along the shore, along that north shore of the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to catch up with Jesus. Why would they want to do that? Because he is massively popular. I mean, life was really hard for these people in those days. And, and Jesus is somebody that can change lives. He's healing people. You know, and, and I'm sure the disciples are going, are you kidding me? We're trying to get away for little R&R. And all these people are following us everywhere. Jesus is trying to get away, to be alone, but the people won't let him. So what's Jesus going to do? Again in verse 11, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So what's happening here is kind of like high attendance Sunday, right? It's come to church and there's standing room only, right? There's people in the balconies, there's people downstairs watching on video. I mean, everybody is there because Jesus is at the peak of his popularity. It's probably the largest crowd that Jesus ever ministered to at one time. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing. The worship service goes on and on and on and on, all right? It says in verse 12, now the day began to wear away. Sun is getting low on the horizon and the disciples are going, we got to form a committee or something. Hey man, I'm about to starve to death. Me too. Well, you go talk to Jesus. No, you talk to Jesus. <laughs> listen, he, he's not going to listen to me. I mean, after all, these people are like drinking in every word that he's saying. Plus people are getting healed. Hey, I got an idea. He might not care about how hungry we are, but if we tell him that the people are hungry, maybe he'll care about that. Verse 12, And the twelve came, and they said to Jesus, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. Hey, Jesus, maybe it's time to dismiss the service and let the people go. I mean, after all, you... you you did a whole series of messages in one day here. And it's been great. This is the healing and the teaching and all of that stuff. It's been great. But man, there's not a Chick-fil-A in sight. So send the people on their way. I mean, enough is enough. Stop preaching already. Maybe that's the way you feel about me sometimes, right? Don't say it out loud. Verse 13. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. Excuse me? You, you, you want us to give them something to eat? I mean, we don't have anything to eat for ourselves. I mean, did you hear us say all of these people are hungry? Verse 13, they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and to buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 Men. Now, according to John's account of this story, it was uh, one of Jesus' followers named Andrew who found a little boy that had five loaves and two fishes. Now, that's all we have. <laughs> You're telling me that we're supposed to give these people something to eat. How about you just dismiss the service? And you know what? This really wouldn't happen if you hadn't preached so long. Now, there were very likely women and children in this desolate place, too. So if there are women and children there, 5,000 men, you start doing the math, maybe there's like 15,000, 20,000 people there. That's like filling up Quicken Loans Arena with people. That's how many people we're talking about here. So what's Jesus going to do? 
verse 14. He said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Okay, uh, Jesus, are you serious? I mean, we got 15, 20,000 people here. Have you ever worked with people? You want us to get them all to sit down? And then you want us to, you know, segment them into groups of 50? That's like, like 300 groups. I can't believe Jesus is asking us to do this, but here goes. We'll try to do what he says. Verse 15, and they did so and had all of them sit down. Now, they don't know what Jesus is going to do, but Jesus is the boss, so they're going to obey Jesus. Again, in verse 16, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Now think, he's praying. They open their eyes and they go, what? maybe you need to keep praying because I don't see anything happening right now. Verse 16, then he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the crowd. So this is time for an afternoon picnic. I mean, there's no fanfare. There's no lightning and thundering, no voice from heaven. But I want you to catch this. The disciples have to go to Jesus and get food for the famished multitudes. And that's why our big idea is come to Christ to get food for the famished. Verse 17, and they all, this is 15, 20,000 people, they all ate and were satisfied. I mean, think about it. This is bread that was produced by the Creator. This was fish that came from Jesus. I mean, people probably never tasted anything quite like this before. And this was food that multiplies, and this is food that satisfies. So the question becomes like, well, where did the miracle take place? Did it take place in the hands of Jesus? Uh, did it take place in the baskets when they passed out the food? Or did it pl take place in the mouths and the stomachs of the people who ate? We don't really know how Jesus did what he did. We don't know what the multiplication process looked like here. We only know the results. And think about it. The Lord and creator of the universe can do in whatever way he chooses, whenever he chooses to do it. Jesus multiplies the bread and the fish for the multitudes. These 12 disciples are serving 15 to 20,000 people. Verse 17, and what was left over was picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces. So, this is not a trick question. How many disciples were there? 12. How many baskets were there? 12. You think that's a coincidence? You're supposed to say no. You think that's a coincidence? Thank you. All right, I'm glad you're listening. Every disciple had not like a little take-home bag. They got like a huge basket full of food. I mean, Jesus creates more food than is needed because that's the kind of generous Savior that we have. See, think about this. When you join Jesus on his mission, there will always be more than enough for you. I mean, some people kind of hold back. They say, hey, I don't know that I want to volunteer here, volunteer there, because if I give, there won't be enough for me. This is proof that Jesus is going to take care of the needs that you have to bless other people and take care of your needs too. If you join him in his cause, you're going to watch him look out for you. He says, I know what your need is, and there's going to be a basket for you today, 
tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next after that. And so what we see here is the provision of Jesus because he supplies our every need. And what we see here is the compassion of Jesus because he cares about our hungers. And what we see here is the invitation of Jesus because he invites us to participate with him to feed a famished world. Now, later, this satisfied crowd, they go home. So Jesus and his followers finally do get a little bit of R&R. Verse 18, now it happened as he was praying alone. After the miracle, he retreated. And what we find out in the other gospels is that the people actually, after this happened, wanted to make him king. So they get to him the next day somehow But Jesus is not interested in becoming a king. He doesn't want to be a temporal Messiah. He's not a quick fix for our felt needs. Verse 18, the disciples were with him and they uh, asked him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah. And others that one of the prophets of old has arisen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, why does Jesus do this miracle? He does it to demonstrate He's Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the Son of God. He does this to show His followers that He is more than just a man. And so no wonder His followers decided, I can come to Christ to get food for the famished. And that's what He wants us to do too. Come to Christ to get food for the famished. Now, you probably know somebody who's big time in a self-help. Self-help. They're always just like wanting to get better. I always want to grow. And when you look at their Instagram and their Facebook pages, you read things like, man, that gym that I just joined, it's going to give me so much meaning and purpose for my life. Or here's the new diet that I'm trying. Or uh, this book is helping me get the most out of my life. Or man, these essential oils have just changed my life. You've seen those posts. (laughs) Do you know what is at the heart of those never-ending quests to grow? Those people feel inadequate. And so they live a hurried life. And they're about to burn out. They're about to burn themselves out and they're about to burn out everybody around them. And you know what your friend needs? Your friend needs your example. They need to see that your growth as a person doesn't come because you're trying really, really hard to do better. That your growth as a person comes because you're connecting to Christ. Because you're abiding in Christ. Because you're feasting on Christ as your bread. He's the bread of life who has given you a reprieve from having to run the rat race. In Christ you found rest. And it's when you find rest in Christ that you begin to grow the best and the most. And when your friend is at a breaking point because of the bareness of that busy life, then that friend needs to see in you and needs to hear from you how Jesus has helped you rest and how Jesus is transforming your life for the better. And when that friend hears that from you, it may change your friend's life forever. Come to Christ to get food for the famished. 
I want to share with you two observations about Jesus today. First, there is no problem too big for Jesus to solve. There is no problem too big for Jesus to solve. All right. Did you hear that? Woo! She's right. And you might be here today, but you're frankly skeptical about miracles, about the supernatural. And I just want to say, if that's you, you're welcome here, okay? You're welcome here with all of your doubts, with all your questions, with all your skepticism. And I get it. Um, I majored in, get this, religious studies at Vanderbilt University. And virtually none of my religious studies professors believed in miracles. None of them. They believe this story is probably kind of a made-up moral story about the power of generosity. This little boy shares his lunch, and then that motivates everybody else to go, well, maybe I should share mine too. I've been hiding it, but maybe I need to pull it out and give it to everybody else. And the little boy's example shamed everybody into sharing, and that's how the famished were fed. Well, really? (laughs) I'm not sure that story would have made it in all four of the Gospels. It's just not that compelling. Think about it. If there was a God who created, and we don't have time today to go into the evidence that there is a creative God, Couldn't that God decide from time to time to interfere with the laws of nature to accomplish his purposes? See, if naturalism is true, miracles are impossible because nothing can invade nature from the outside because there is nothing on the outside to invade nature with. That's if naturalism is true. But why should we assume that naturalism is true? What if there is a God? And what if that transcendent personal God sometimes actively causes something supernatural to happen? Miracle stories in the Bible, they're not made up fairy tales to to communicate some moral lesson. Miracles are acts of God where he reveals something about himself to us. And think about it. Miracles don't happen all the time in the Bible. I mean, this book took 1,500 years to put together. And and the miracles are just kind of a small part. I mean, they're an important part, but they don't happen all the time in the Bible. They are rare. That's why they're called miracles. (laughs) But we do see them with the creation. We do see them with the exodus when God's people are saved out of Egypt. We see miracles happen when God wants to identify his messengers and authenticate their message, when it comes to Jesus, the miracles recorded in the Bible just communicate he's not a liar. And he's not a lunatic. He's Lord. That's who he is. I mean, think about it. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus. In John chapter 1, all things were made through him, and without him there was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the creator. He is God who has come to this planet to live among us and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave prove that he's from God, that he is God. Then if that's true, why wouldn't we believe that he could create loaves and fishes and feed the thousands? Not too hard for God. And if he could solve that problem on that day for those people, 
He can provide for you whatever you need, whenever you need it. Everybody in here has needs. You got to understand there's no problem too big for Jesus to solve. Listen to what it says about the Lord. Jeremiah 32, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made heaven and earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Job 42, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Luke chapter 1, nothing will be impossible for God. There is no problem too big for Jesus to solve. Second observation, there is no person too small for Jesus to use. One little boy gives everything that he has for lunch to Jesus and it's multiplied to feed the thousands. And then these little selfish, doubting disciples who are stumbling around, trying to follow Jesus, reluctantly obeying some puzzling commands, are used to feed a multitude. And that ought to bring hope and encouragement to you and me. Because we can say, who am I? I'm really a nobody. I'm little. Sometimes I am selfish. and Sometimes I doubt and sometimes I'm stumbling around trying to follow Jesus. I don't really have much. But what I have, I give to you. And if that's you today, then that's exactly the type of person Jesus is looking for. Little people who just offer up what they have to Jesus. That's the exact person Jesus loves to use. There's no person too small for Jesus to use. And so what's amazing is he invites us to be his followers who get food from him to take to other people. That's why no matter how insignificant you think you are, you can still join Jesus on a very stupendous, momentous, amazing, massive mission. We get to be a part of something miraculous as long as we keep going back and back and back and back to Jesus to get food from Him for a famished soul. Come to Christ to get food for the famished. There's no person too small for Jesus to use. Now, it is super significant that you know in John chapter 6, where this story is also told, Jesus had a conversation the very next day with some of the very people that He fed. And Jesus wasn't really happy with these people who were looking for him. Now, why would he kind of get upset with people that are actually seeking him? It's because they wanted him for temporal earthly stuff. They wanted him for the bread. They wanted him for prosperity. They wanted him for health. They were Jesus users and not Jesus lovers. And Jesus says, you're looking for me because you got the loaves and you were filled. I get it. You want more. But I didn't come to give you food that perishes. I came to give you food that will last forever. That's a different kind of food. And the people then say, John 6, well, why should we believe you? Uh, show us a sign. Show you a sign? Well, didn't you see what just happened yesterday? That's your sign. 
Well, I'll give you a sign. Here's the bread of God. The bread of God has come down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this food always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Jesus saying, is saying here, I fed the thousands to point you to me. I'm the bread you need. And yes, Jesus does want us to have our physical needs met. There's no question about that. But that's not the main thing. He's on a mission for something much, much more important. He came to satisfy our spiritual, eternal needs. And he's saying, come to me to get bread, to take some to somebody who's famished. And remember, the bread that I'm giving you to take to them is me. Jesus didn't come into the world mainly to give bread. He came into the world to be bread. So the miracle was a sign. It pointed people to the fact that Jesus is the bread that satisfies the soul. So now think about it, a sign. I mean, what if I decided, hey, I'm going to take my family to Cedar Point on a little weekend vacation trip. And I'm driving on the turnpike and I see a sign to Cedar Point. And I say, stop the car, stop the car, let's get out, let's get out. We're going to have our vacation right here, right in front of the sign. <laughs> I hope I'd be arrested or something. That's, that's, that's crazy. Because the sign can't do for you what it's pointing to. And Jesus says, you want me, not because you want me, you really want my buffet. The problem is my buffet is a sign. And my buffet will never satisfy you. Seek the food that satisfies. I'm the bread you need. Now, some of us have some misconceptions about what Christianity is. Some of us think, um, well, it's a list of rules that I have to obey God just so God is like not ticked at me. That's what Christianity is. But, that, but no, it, it goes much deeper than outward actions. Our deepest desires need to be transformed. He wants us to want Him, to feed on Him, to find nourishment in Him. And that's why the psalmist could say, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that I'm good. You probably have a friend or a family member. They're the first and the fastest to post stuff on Facebook and Instagram about their outings and about their vacations and about their family gatherings. And every time they post, some member of their family is smiling and happy and dancing and celebrating. It's all good. But you know the rest of the story. The reality is your friend is anxious and depressed and feeling lonely because of troubled relationships. And those likes that they get on Facebook after posting those pictures, they give them a temporary feel-good dopamine hit. But deep down, it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't last long. And what your friend needs is your example. They need to see that you find your sense of significance not from looking good on the outside on Instagram, 
but from going to Jesus who tells you, no matter how hard life gets, no matter how challenging life gets, I just want you to know you matter to me. And Jesus says to you, you're the apple of my eye. I'm rejoicing over you. I'm singing over you. I'm celebrating you. And when you get that kind of bread, you get that kind of affirmation from Jesus, then you can show your friend, you can share with your friend when the bottom falls out to them that it's not the likes that satisfy, it's the love from heaven that satisfies. And that can change the life of your friend forever. Come to Christ to get food for the famished. I have here a loaf of bread representing Jesus, of course. And I have here Twinkies and ding-dongs for you chocolate lovers. Sorry, I got another service tonight. You can't have it. Come back tonight and I'll share it with everybody. <laughs> Did you know they make 500 million of these a year? You know my sugar's in these babies? Eight million pounds of sugar. And these babies have a long shelf life. <laughs> Can't be that good, right? You know, you go to that uh, convenient mart, you go, look, the dust on this thing is like totally crazy. Here's my question to you. What, is, what, what would be the Twinkies that you need to give up? What would they be? Things that you do that taste really good at first but never satisfy? I mean, maybe your food was to start a business, but it ended your marriage. Or maybe your food was to get your kids to the dream college, but you never really taught them the ways of Jesus. Or maybe your food was to make a lot of money, but you never grew rich in the things that mattered most. Or maybe your food was to watch all seven seasons of Netflix's Orange is the New Black, but you never learned to love prayer. You know what you've been doing? Feasting on Twinkies and Ding Dongs. And maybe you're here today and you're realizing that you've been trying to satisfy your heart hungers in all the wrong places. And you realize, wow, there's something better. Jesus can be bread for me to satisfy forever. And maybe you want to pray a simple prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I have needs. I am hungry and I need the food that only you can give so right now, I confess that I've been trying to find food for my soul on my own. It's not working. Today, I turn from myself to you. Thank you for dying for me. I believe you rose from the grave. And today, I receive you because you alone can satisfy. There are probably dozens of you in this room. You need to pray that and mean it. It'll be your first step toward Christ. And if that's you in your program, there's a place you can check and say, I've received Christ. We're not going to bug you or harass you, but we would love to come alongside you and help you grow in your relationship to Christ. Check that box. Put it in the offering basket when it comes by because we'd love to help you. 
And then once you find satisfaction in Jesus, you can help others find satisfaction in him too. And if you think about it, that's really what the who's your one emphasis is all about. We go to Jesus to get bread. He fills us up and we take the bread to somebody else that's famished. I'm just a beggar telling another beggar where to go to find bread. And last week, Pastor Chad kind of challenged us all. Go over there, write your name down on the who's your one. Just write one person's name down. Somebody that you know who's famished and who needs to find Jesus' bread. And you're going to be the person to help them do that. So get over there this morning and write your name down. So we can all pray together for your friend. We have to go to Jesus to find satisfaction for our, our deepest hungers. Left to ourselves, we will always choose to feed on Netflix or work or money or fitness or friendships or success or being applauded and appreciated or power or fun or even ministry. We try to satisfy ourselves on all of those things. We'll keep after that until we finally come to the conclusion, Jesus is better bread. Jesus is better bread. Now, in order for the disciples to get food for the multitudes, they had to keep going back to Jesus over and over. So I want to ask, what does that look like for me and you? What does it look like for us 2,000 years later to keep going to Jesus to get bread? And here's, here's the big umbrella, I would say. Unhurried time with Christ. Unhurried time. And that is counter to our culture. Because everybody I'm looking at, you're probably way too busy. Way too busy. Pedal to the metal. You're living a hurried, harried life. Prayer. That's why some of you heard Pray from 9 to 3 on Saturday at the prayer summit? Are you kidding me? Ain't no way, Jose. This is exactly what you need. Unhurried time with God. A Bible reading plan that you're not just trying to get through and check it off. A great worship music. Silence. Solitude. Sabbath. Slowing down. Memorizing and meditating on big chunks of scripture. Reading great books about Christ. Journaling. If we don't change our lives to have times for these kinds of things, then Jesus is never going to truly satisfy our souls. He won't be our bread. All we're doing is eating the Twinkies and the ding-dongs and we won't have food to share with anybody else. What we have to share, we'll kill them. I mean, if your spouse or your mom or your dad prepares like an exquisite, um, delicious, expensive, gourmet meal for you, And then they set that in front of you. It's beautiful on the table. And you say, man, this looks great. And it smells even better. And then you go about practicing proper dining etiquette and all that business. But you never eat it. 
Instead, you're scarfing down some happy meal that you brought with you. You know what you just did? You just dishonored the chef. And that's the way it is too often with us and Jesus. He has set before us a meal that truly satisfies us the most and the best. And we say, thank you. But we continue to feed on things that will never, ever satisfy. And when you're spending time with him, don't just scarf it down. Let it, yourself linger in his presence. See, the people around us are famished. They need food from the Lord. So I want you right now to think about somebody who's especially hungry, who's especially desperate, especially famished. famished. They need a real need met. How are you going to give them something to eat? How are you going to give them that something to eat? We're going to close our time in some guided prayer today. So here's what I'd like to ask you to do. This is a little, I hope you don't think this is weird, but open your hands like you're going to receive something. Set them on your lap. Just open your hands. And then close your eyes. I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy, okay? That's it. But I'm going to lead you in a guided prayer. So confess to the Father that you have sought satisfaction in wrong places, people, pursuits. Thank Jesus for being the bread of life, the one who's ready and able to satisfy your soul. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a deeper hunger for Jesus. And then pray something like, Lord, bring me to a place where I won't be satisfied by anything or anyone other than you. Now I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind someone you know who's hungry, who's trying to satisfy those hungers in ways that's doing damage to their souls. Might be your who's your one friend. Might be a family member. Might be a neighbor, a co-worker. Ask the Father to be merciful to them. Ask the Spirit to help them hunger for Christ. And then ask Jesus to help you share your food from Him with them. Lord, you've heard our prayers. We want to live in expectation that you're going to answer these prayers. So please satisfy us. Please let us share you with others so that we might see multitudes of people being fed by you, Lord Jesus, bread from heaven. Teach us to come to Christ to get food for the famished. And we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody set.